Well, I'm just going to get straight into it tonight. I feel like I've got a, a word for, from God for our church at this moment. So I want us to pray and then we'll get straight into it. So let's pray. Lord God, I thank you for your word. I thank you for the privilege of speaking your word and delivering it. I pray that you come and anoint these words and, and speak into our hearts and not just our hearts, but let them become actions that we do and apply to our lives in every way. That this word would not just affect us, but it will affect the world we live in. Our, our immediate world, our families, our workplaces, our schools and universities, God. That's my prayer in Jesus' name. Amen. Who knows, there's many words in the English language that mean something very different today than what they originally meant. Is that right? Can anyone think of some? I'll give you one, straight off the bat, gay. Once upon a time when I was a boy, if you said someone was gay, they were very happy and joyous. Isn't that right? Anyone remember that? These days, it means someone who is same-sex attracted. Let's try something different. What about the word, oops, tweet? What is it when someone tweets these days? Got something to do with a thing called Twitter. That's right. Benito loves Twitter. But um, in the old days, the only thing that tweeted was a bird. But these days, if you're going to tweet, you're putting a post on the social media platform Twitter. So it's like a bit of a change, a bit of something different. You, you might not know this one. Anyone know what awful originally meant? Not this morning's people can't say it. Be quiet. There's a, they, uh, bread, and, bread and butter pudding is awful. Yes. I'm with you on that, Mike. I'm, I'm there. Preach it, brother. Nothing worse than bread and soggy bread and custard. Oh, nothing. But awful did not mean the things that it, we know it to mean today. Awful in the original context meant to be filled with awe. That if something was awful, you went, wow, that is amazing. That is incredible. Like you would say, God is awful. That God is, where I am full of awe for God. He is amazing. It, I guess you'd translate it as awesome today. But it, that's what it originally was used for. But somehow, I got no idea how it happened. But somehow today, we use it to mean something's disgusting. Something's horrible. Something's detestable. Uh, and that's, that, that's just three words that I can think of. There's many, many war, more but the fact is, some of the changes in meanings of words are dramatic, like these ones, and others are more subtle. There's subtle changes. And today I want to talk about a word that I believe has undergone some subtle changes in its use since it was originally found in the Bible. And I, I believe that some, because of those changes, we've, we don't fully understand or come to understand what this word means that we, we find it hard, we grapple with it, and we don't really know how to apply it to our lives. And the word I'm talking about today that I want to share about is the word faith. You see, faith is commonly used today in many different ways. Uh, sporting teams use the word faith, isn't that right? They, they tell us, come on, keep the faith. 
Ken Hinckley's trying really hard to keep the faith, trying to pump up the power that they're going to win a premiership this year. That takes faith. It takes real faith. As a Crow supporter, I know we're terrible, so that's all right. But, but you, you hear it in that term of, of sporting teams, you know, keep the faith. Uh, politicians love to tell us that they can have faith, that we can have faith in them. Isn't that right? You can have faith. Believe in me. I'm going to change things. I'm going to make things different. Who knows that it never tends to happen? Yeah, they, the, the, the fact is, conversely, we can lose faith in stuff. Isn't that right? That, uh, that these politicians and people, that they cause us to lose faith in them because they let us down and they don't follow through in what they said they would do. But in religious circles, we've come to use the term faith as a, a broad description of what we believe in. So we, we describe someone, you may have used that term, I know I have, and when I've caught up with people, I might have said, I'm a person of faith. I'm a person who you know, goes to church. I'm a person who reads the Bible. I'm a person who has faith. Has anyone used that term? And, uh, and we talk of organisations like charities and church charities. We say that they're faith-based charities. Isn't that right? And uh, all of this thinking about the, using the word faith has got me wondering that maybe we have lost sight of the true meaning of faith. In other words, what it really is. Are we using the word faith in the way the Bible describes it? Or are we using it in a watered-down, anemic version of faith that God didn't really intend faith to be? You see, last week Steve preached a powerful word here about the woman who touched the hem of Jesus' garment. Do you remember that? It's a very, very powerful sermon. And in that sermon... It talks about Jesus saying to that woman very clearly, he said, your faith has made you well. And then he, Jesus continued walking with Jairus, the story tells us. And Jairus' Jairus's daughter was very ill. And then the people came to them as they were walking to see Jairus' daughter. And the people came to him and said, sorry, don't worry about coming, Jesus. She's died. And Jairus is obviously very upset, but Jesus says to him these words, Do not fear, only believe, and she will be well. I love the way the Amplified Version says this passage. As you can see, it's Amplified, it's a little bit longer. But it says, Do not be afraid any longer. Only believe and trust in me, and have faith in my ability to do this, and she will be made well. When I read these verses, it makes me think that there's more to faith than we realize. There's something deeper and something greater. You see, these miracles show that there is, that when we talk about faith, there is a link between faith and incredible outcomes. And that challenges me to ask, is the faith we have simply a description of what we believe, or is the faith we have something much more. Is the faith we have something deeper and more significant? So today I want to talk to you about what faith is, why it's so important, and how we can have this kind of biblical faith. The first thing I want to tell you is that faith pleases God. The Bible teaches us very clearly 
that faith warms and touches the heart of God. And it doesn't just do that, but that faith causes a response from God. It causes a response from God to the person who has faith in him. Hebrews 11.6 says, And without faith it is impossible to please God, because anyone who comes to him must believe that he exists and that he rewards those who earnestly seek him. You see, faith involves belief, as this passage says. The first thing you have to do is you have to believe in God, which is, that makes sense, that's obvious. But it also tells us in this passage that it just doesn't require belief, but faith must be accompanied by activity by the one who believes. You see, a person of faith must believe, must not only believe, but must also earnestly seek God. See, a person of faith must believe that their God is a God who rewards them, but then they must earnestly seek Him. And this is really important because this kind of faith not only pleases God, but it also draws a response from God. We see, we serve a God who is actively looking to support and to help those who have faith. In a verse in Chronicles, in the Old Testament, it says it like this. It says, For the eyes of the Lord move to and fro throughout the earth, so that he may support those whose heart is completely his. You see, the God of the Bible is an actively seeking God. He, he's actively seeking. His eyes are wandering throughout the earth to strengthen those whose hearts are committed completely to him. In other words, those whose hearts have faith in him. Isn't that right? How does he know? The question has to be asked. How does he know that they have faith in him? In my opinion, he sees it in their actions. He sees it how they are responding to life. He sees it in how they are living their life. That's how God finds people whose hearts are for him. It's the way they're living. Let me give you an example from the story I told you earlier, the woman with the issue of blood, the woman who reached out and touched Jesus' garment. Now, she believed, she said, if only I could touch his garment, I know I will be healed. So she believed Jesus could heal her. But the fact is she had to get to a place where she could touch Jesus' garment. As Steve told us last week, she had a, an issue with bleeding, which mean, meant she was unclean. So in the law of the day, she would have to warn people that she was around. But how would she get close to Jesus if she was warning people? She, they wouldn't allow her to get close to Jesus because she was unclean. So obviously she got in amongst the crowd and snuck in to the point where she could actively show her faith that I would reach out. You see, her faith was accompanied by action. We see many other miracles in the Bible where this happens. This happens time and time again. There's a story in Matthew 15. It talks of a Syrophoenician woman, otherwise a foreigner, someone who wasn't Jewish. And she comes to Jesus because she has a daughter who is demon-possessed. And she comes to Jesus and says, Please heal my daughter, Jesus. And you might not believe this, but Jesus actually rejects her. We talk about this Jesus who loves everyone and welcomes everyone. 
But he actually said, go away. I want nothing to do with you. I came for only the, the house of Israel. Get out of, get, out of it, get out of here. But this is the amazing thing. She believed Jesus could heal her daughter. So she didn't take no for an answer. And the Bible says she continually cried out to him, Jesus, have mercy on me. Please come and pray for my daughter. And Jesus continued to say no. But then the final step, Jesus says, I've only come for the children of Israel. It's no good to give bare food to the dogs. Isn't that right? So he went to the next step. He actually called her whoops, a dog. How crazy is that? Doesn't sound like the Jesus we preach about, does it? But he, called, he, said, he literally used those terms. And then she says those powerful words where she says, even the dogs get the crumbs from the master's table. Even the dogs get the crumbs from the master's table. And in that moment, Jesus saw her faith. Realized that she said, you can call me a dog, but I still believe you can heal my daughter. And her daughter was set free and healed. There's another story in, in Matthew 8. Another foreigner, another person who wasn't Jewish, the Roman centurion. And he, he came to Jesus and said, my servant is ill. And Jesus said, that's, that's terrible. I'll come to your house and pray for him. And Jesus said, the centurion said, no, I'm not worthy to have you in my house. But if you just say the word... I know my servant will be healed because I am a man under authority. And if I say to my, the people under me, do this and do that, they'll do it. And if the people above me tell me to do something, I'll do it. So I know you have authority. So you just say the word and I know he'll be healed. See, with his actions... With his mouth, he, he believed Jesus could heal his servant. But with his actions, he said, don't, don't come to my house, but just say the word. I believe it can happen. You see, in both these situations, both these people, the Syrophoenician woman and the Roman centurion, foreigners overcame the obstacles that said, Jesus was a Jew, I'm Roman, I'm Syrophoenician, we can't mix, but they said no. I'll overcome that social barrier, that cultural barrier, and I will seek Jesus. And I'll go to him because I know he is the answer to my need. And as they did that, as they acted on their faith and broke down those barriers, they saw great miracles. They saw incredible things happen. And in both these cases, it's the only time Jesus described people as having great faith. He said to them, you have great faith. And that's, this is the kind of faith that draws a response from God. Faith with action is what God is talking about. Now, it's also important to remember that faith is not the absence of doubt. A lot of us get worried, like, well, but I'm not sure if God's going to do this or do that. And we get all caught up in that. But you need to understand that God is okay with you asking him questions. He's okay with you... To, like saying what about this God or what about that because it's not the questions that are the issue it's the place they come from you see if they come from a place of trust and relationship then God gives us revelation God begins to open our eyes and he goes I understand what you're struggling with but understand this is who I am 
And he, he reveals to us his truth. That if we come to him with hungry hearts, and, and sometimes that means saying, what about this God? What about that? But out of a place of relationship, he can bring revela- revelation. But when we come to him, when people come to him with mistrust, it, oh, caught it. When we come from a place of mistrust, it usually only leads to unbelief. I'll give you an example of this. From when Jesus walked the earth, there were two types of people he dealt with or or related to. Uh, There's a lot more than that, but I'll I'll pick on two. And one were his disciples. Now, if you know his disciples, they asked lots of dumb questions. They were just simple guys, they're fishermen, all sorts of different people. But they, they were in the habit of saying stupid things to Jesus. Isn't that right? Anyone relate to that? I've done it many, many times. But the thing is, you have to remember that these men had given up everything to follow Jesus. They had, they had left their families, they'd left their homes, and they, when Jesus called them to follow him, they left everything to follow him. And they were in uh, an everyday trusting relationship with him, literally. They they walked with him every day. They slept with him every night. They they did everything together for that three or so years. That they lived with Jesus. And so Jesus was role modeling to to them everything that it was to be a Christian to be a follower of Christ. And so they, they were, when they asked stupid questions, Jesus, it came from a place of relationship and trust. And so Jesus, many a time, would reveal to them the answers to those questions. He would give them revelation of what it was all about. He would explain to them what parables would mean, and, and he would show them what it meant to, what the kingdom of God looked like. Because they was coming, their questions weren't coming from a place of mistrust. They were coming from a place of trust. Now, on the other hand, you had the religious leaders of the day, the Sadducees and the Pharisees and all those blokes. And these guys came to Jesus and asked questions, but who knows that they weren't coming to ask him questions because they wanted to understand. They saw him as a threat to their very existence. So they were coming to ask him questions that why to prove that he wasn't who he said he was. And so there, Jesus never gave them revelation. What he actually did, which was really clever, is he answered their questions with his own questions to them. Isn't that right? And so when he did that, he's like, whoa, well, well uh, uh, you know what it's like. Uh, or otherwise he would give them parables that they couldn't understand. And, they, and he'd reveal the truth to his disciples, but to those religious leaders, they would leave him confused and angry to the point where they plotted to kill him. You see, they came to Jesus seeing him as a threat, but the disciples came to Jesus seeing him as the answer to their needs. The next thing about faith is that faith is not about us. Faith is not about us. You see, having faith is nothing to do with our own self-satisfaction. It's got nothing to do with what I or you or we can get. You see, the way of faith is all about who we believe in. I heard a quote this week. I don't know who said it, but it really touched me and it really challenged me because this person was saying that your faith is only as strong 
as the object within which it resides. Your faith is only as strong as the object within which it resides. Think about that for a moment. If you think about the political leaders I've talked about before, they ask us to have faith in them. But our faith in them is only as strong as they are. And haven't we all discovered that many of them are just weak men and women that do lie and do tell false truths and do promise stuff and don't come through with it. Isn't that right? You think about many of us have probably put our faith in the education system or the justice system. But how many times has that let us down? Or dare I say the health system? Because the problem is it's run by people like you and me. And who knows, we have faults. We have problems. We make mistakes. A lot of people have lost their faith in the church. I believe it's because they have put their faith in the people who run the church rather than the God to whom the church belongs. Isn't that right? So many people out there have lost faith in the church because they have been hurt by the people who run the church and let down by the people who run the church who have made promises and haven't come through or done things to hurt and abuse. And they've gotten their eyes off the God who owns the church and put their eyes on the people who run the church. And if you do that, sure, you're, gonna, you're building it on something that it isn't as strong as God. There it is. I'll give you an example of this. Um, it's close to my heart. But last year, my football team, the Adelaide Crows, lost their faith. Lost their faith in their coach, Don Pike. Isn't that right? They did. They lost it. And, which basically meant that when they went out on the field to play, they had this game plan that the coach had set for them and it wasn't working, and so everything fell apart. Everything went bad. Everything went wrong. And so the place where it showed, and this is important for us to remember, is the testing of your faith or the, the strength of your faith will be shown when the game is on the line. You see, when the tests and trials come, that's when you'll discover how strong our faith really is and who it's based on. You see, the Bible tells us in, in Hebrews 11.1 1, what faith really is. It says there, Now faith is the substance of things hoped for and the evidence of things not seen. I love the way J.B. Phillips translates it. His paraphrase says, Now faith means putting, on, putting our full confidence in the things we hope for. It means being certain of the things we cannot see. Full confidence and certain of the things we cannot see. You see, the writer of the letter to the Hebrews was writing to Christian Jews. These Christian Jews had left Judaism and converted to Christianity. But they, once they had converted, they had discovered that there was a lot of people who didn't like Christians. They were, they were relentlessly persecuted. They were being like 
stoned. You, you hear the story of Stephen, the martyr, who was stoned because of his faith. And they were, all sorts of terrible things were happening to him. And these Christian Jews were actually, because it was so hard and the trial and the test was so hard and, and the persecution was so hard, they were actually considering to revert back to Judaism. They were, they were thinking it was so much easier when I was just going to the temple and taking my sacrifices and no one cared who I believed in. They just cared whether I brought my sacrifice and that was so much easier. And so they were being tempted to go back on their faith. And so the writer to the Jews makes this statement and, and he's saying that um, he's imploring them not to lose their faith, not to lose their, their full confidence, not to lose their certain their certainty of the things that they cannot see. And in this verse, he is describing what faith is really about. The faith is describing, that this verse is describing a faith that is much more deeper and richer than saying, I go to church every week, so I'm a person of faith. It's much more deeper than that idea that, hey, I got baptized as a child, so I'm a person of faith. The faith that it's talking about is much more significant. It's much deeper. It's much richer. It's, it's describing a faith that lives and breathes a dependence on God in everything we do. It's a faith that is ultimately defined by who we put our trust in when the game is on the line. In other words, it's a trust and belief in God that is proven when it is tested. So how can we define this kind of faith. I found this story in, about a missionary called John Patton. And John Patton was a missionary in the South Sea Islands. And he, he was a Bible translator. So he was translating the Bible into their local language so that he could explain to them the gospel. But he, he was unable to find a word in their vocabulary that would describe what trusting and believing and faith really was. And so he had no idea how he would convey faith to them. But one day while he was in his hut translating, one of the locals came running up the stairs into Patton's study and he flopped himself into the chair next to him. And he was exhausted after uh, a long hunting, a day of hunting. And he said to Patton something like this, he said, it's so good to stretch myself out and rest my whole weight in this chair. At that moment, Patton said that he had found his word for faith. He had described it as that faith is resting our whole weight on God. That faith is putting our whole weight on God like the man put his whole weight in that chair. Let me show you. You're all sitting so you can't see this. But, um, but the fact is, the chair's there that what, we, what he's talking about is that when we're trusting God and believing God and having faith in God, it's like us just coming down and just flopping ourselves into the chair. Just, I didn't have any doubt that this chair would hold me, did I? There was no fear, no worry. It, I had confidence in this chair to hold me. There's no doubt. And what God is saying is faith 
It's the substance of things hoped for, the evidence of things not seen. But from my past experiences when I've sat in a chair, I know the chair will hold me again. So I can put myself, my whole way on God because I know how he's held me to this point of my life. Isn't that right? You see, this is, this is what it looks like if we, we look at a couple of scriptures. Acts 16.31 says, Believe in the Lord Jesus and you will be saved. If we take Patton's translation, it would read something like this. Stretch yourself out and put the whole weight of your lives on the Lord Jesus and you will be saved. It's a little bit more encouraging, isn't it? Like, believe in God. It's like, oh, I can believe in God. Even the, the Bible says even the demons believe in God. But will they stretch their, themselves out and put their whole weight on him and trust him? That's what God is calling us to. If we look at John 3.16, we all know this. For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son, that whoever believes in him shall not perish but have eternal life. So they think of it like this. For God so loved the world that he gave his one and only son that whoever stretches out and puts the, weight, the whole weight of their lives on him shall not perish but have eternal life. So like the Jewish Christians in Hebrews, when the world throws everything it has at you and me, true, authentic, genuine faith is us plonking ourselves on God, trusting that he will hold us, that he will carry us through, that we have nothing to fear because we are in God's lap, in his hands. How good is that? How amazing is that? You see, he is the confidence of all we have hoped for. And he is the certainty of what we have not seen. He is salvation when we were lost. He forgives our sins when we fail. He is our comforter. He is good and faithful as we have sung tonight. He is truth. He is strength when we are weak. He is the healer when we are broken. And he is our assurance of eternal life, no matter what we experience in this world. These are all things we can't see, aren't they? We can't see forgiveness. We can't see salvation. We can't see healing until it actually happens. But we hope for them. And the certain evidence that they exist is seen in the way we live our lives in relationship with God. Let me say that to you again. The certain evidence that these things exist, our salvation, our comfort, our healing, our peace, the certain evidence of these things that we can't always see, but the certain evidence that we know they exist is seen in the way we live our lives in relationship to God. Let me explain this, give you an example of this, and I'll use myself as an example. My natural uh, personality is I'm a shy person. Uh, I'm an introvert by nature. I don't, I don't like necessarily standing up here in front of you guys to preach. But one day when I was a small boy, 10 years old, I sat in a church service 
and I, I, I was praying and we were praying and I looked up and I saw the pastors standing behind the pulpit and I felt God say into my heart, one day you will do that. Everything in my circumstance, a, a child from a, a single parent home of five kids, very poor, my mum was just raising five kids on her own and everything in my circumstance showed that I wouldn't do that. I was shy. I was introverted. I, I, I didn't like getting up in public and speaking at all. But God spoke something into my heart when I was that 10-year-old child. And I knew, I knew that I knew that I knew that I would have to step out in faith. That I would have to show action to what God had asked me to do. And it's come to this point where it's not only standing up here and preaching the word of God to you, but it's also pioneering this church because God told me to. When a lot of people said, you can't do that. Even the voices in my head told me, you can't do that. But I had that word from God, from Hebrews, that said I would be a pioneer. And so I said, God, you said it, I trust it, I'll act on it. I would just walk through every door that you take me through. See, the fact is, faith is not about us. It's about the God who we put our faith in. It's all about resting all your weight on him and who he is, no matter what happens around you, and not letting go. Timothy Keller says, It's not the strength or size of your faith, but the object of your faith that saves you. It's not the strength or the size of your faith, but the object of your faith that saves you. You see, Hebrews 11, it tells us what faith is. And if you read through Hebrews 11, I encourage you to do it this week. You'll read about all the heroes of faith. Men and women who saw amazing things happen. It talks about men and women who were martyred. It talks about men and women who uh, all sorts of terrible things happened to in faith. But then after Hebrews 11, there's Hebrews 12. And in Hebrews 12, it shows us how to have the same faith that these heroes of faith had and it says therefore since we are surrounded by such a great cloud of witnesses so what he's saying is you've just read about all those people who witnessed God's great provision through faith and since and these witnesses are all in heaven now and they're all cheering us on they're saying to each of us they're saying Tristan you can do it come on you can follow God with everything you have they're declaring it, Larissa, you can, you can lead and you can do what God has called you to. You don't need to hold back. Monica, don't hold back from what God would want you to do. They're cheering us on and they say, and so if our, response, our response to them is, let us throw off everything that hinders and the sin that so easily entangles. So all those voices that tell you, you can't do it, that God's not with you, that God doesn't heal or that God doesn't bring a financial breakthrough to your life or God doesn't doesn't use people like you to do amazing things in our world that when those voices and you throw them off you throw off that unbelief you throw off the things that would try to hold you back and let us run with perseverance the race marked out for us what's it say next fixing our eyes on Jesus 
Who is the object of our faith? Jesus. The, the, that object that will never fail us. It says he is the pioneer and the perfecter of faith. For the joy set before him, as, as Benito said earlier, he endured the cross, scorning its shame, and he sat down at the right hand of the throne of God. Consider him, consider Jesus, who endured such opposition from sinners. You think you've got it tough. You think you've got it hard. Guess what? Jesus was flogged and beaten for you. He took the weight of sin of the of the weight of the world's sin on his shoulders. He took it all. And so consider him. So when you're doing it tough, say, God, I know you've been in a lot worse than this. I know you can get me through this because you've already been there. For goodness sake, it says that he went to hell and back. So if he was able to do that, how much more can he bring you through what you're going through? Isn't that right? Consider him who endured such opposition from sinners so that you will not grow weary and lose heart. See, our faith begins and ends with Jesus. He is the author and the perfecter of our faith. He is the object of our faith. As we draw close to him, our faith gets stronger. Having faith in the face of all the obstacles and problems we have is not coming to Jesus with our wish list of all our needs and all our problems and saying, can you answer these please, Jesus? It's not that, but it's rather it's coming to Jesus as the answer to all your needs and problems. It's not coming to Jesus saying, I need this, Jesus, I need that. No, it's coming to Jesus saying, Jesus, you are all that I need. You are everything that I need. Without you, I'm nothing. I come to you and I lay my life down. I, I, I plonk my life in your hands. I rest my whole weight on you because... I need you. I need you. I need you. Church, it's time to put all our weight in his lap, in his arms, believing that he is more than able to carry us through whatever we are going through. It's time to trust him, to put our faith in him to realize that faith is more than just showing up to church faith is more than just reading your bible and praying every so often faith is more than being a part of fearless youth or or kids clubs or whatever it is and faith is more than volunteering in church faith is putting your whole weight on god and saying god i trust you to carry me through, to bring me to where you need me to be. Let's pray. I know there's lots of people in this place, you're going through stuff, stuff going on in your lives that is tough, it is hard and I don't, I don't want to belittle that at all. But what I want to encourage you to do is to put 
your faith in God. To realise what faith really is. That it's not just a nice catchphrase. It's a way of life. It's action. It's practising what we say we believe. And so tonight, as just as you're sitting in those chairs, resting all your way in those chairs, I ask you to pray and say, God, help me trust you like I trust this chair. Help me trust you and give you everything I have and put all my weight on you. So as I pray, I'd ask you, if you need to, to make a commitment to God like that. Let's pray. Lord God, I thank you. I thank you for everything you've done. Lord God, I thank you that you have paid the price and you have done everything that's required. I thank you that you are good and faithful, that you are truth in a world full of lies, that you are the truth we need. God, I look across this room and I know there's people that are doing it tough. I know there's people that are, have got massive obstacles in front of you, but you say in your word, don't be afraid, just believe in me and it will be okay. God, help us to believe in you. Help us to put the full weight of our lives on you. Help us to put action to our faith. I ask you this in Jesus' name. Amen. 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 God bless you. It's an it's a interesting season for us as a church, but I, I want to encourage you. I, I didn't feel to have a big altar call or anything like that because this is stuff that's just where the rubber hits the road. And this is, you know, we can respond, and, uh, and, but that means nothing if we don't put this into practice tomorrow. That tomorrow when you get out of bed... You go, God, I, put, I stretch out and I put all my weight in your arms. I trust you today. What I've got in front of me looks daunting and looks difficult, but I know you're with me and I know you're faithful and true. So can I encourage you to have a listen to the podcast again this week and to look at these verses that I've given and just allow it to build in your spirit and to really ask God, Help me practice authentic faith. Amen. Amen. God bless you.